All right, well, now I have the pleasure, the privilege, the honor to introduce to you our amazing youth pastor, Elijah Pibus. Now listen. There is no doubt that this young man right here, come over here, my man, oh, sick. is highly anointed by God. Amen? And where the youth was a year ago compared to where it is today, man, God gets the glory for that, but this young man has put a lot of hard work into it. So the youth are definitely the leaders of today, the church of today, but they're also what? Ready for more. Yes, yes. sir. That's right. Amen. So before he gets started, I want to go ahead and pray over him. You guys just stretch out your hands, all right? So, Father, we just thank you so much for Pastor Elijah. We just thank you so much, Father, for the word that you've given him today. We just ask that you just continue to give him the anointing. The Holy Spirit is just flowing through him today, that the words that come out of his mouth be the words that we need to hear today. Father, we thank you that our eyes, our ears, our hearts are all open to receive whatever it is that you want to do through him today, Father. We just thank you for it right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> if you don't know, Pastor Jeff is my father. Um, we look a little bit differently, but yeah, he's my dad. Um, word. This is my iPad. The Lord had to, you know, humble me somehow. I can't be dashingly handsome and have great eyesight, so I had to bring up my iPad so I can read my notes. So, <laughs> What's going on, everybody? My name is Pastor Elijah, and I get the honor and privilege of being the youth pastor here at Home Church. And man, I say it every time I'm up here, but this is the best job in the world. If you're looking for um, a new job, consider ministry, because ministry is epic. I love every day coming into the office and hanging out with these awesome kids on Wednesdays. It is the highlight of my week each and every week, um, and we're awesome, dude. This message today, though, it's going to be kind of tough. It's going to be kind of... Um, a different take on a story I feel like we're all pretty familiar with. If you're not, then like, buckle up. Um, you guys ready to get challenged this morning? Anybody excited, looking for a challenge? Awesome. Um, I'm gonna remember that in about an hour and half y'all wanna punch me in the face. <laughs> this is, um, this message is one of a kind. I truly believe that because uh, it's, it's not really something that like we like to, you know, talk about, especially at a youth takeover. You know, you're expecting like some crazy like hype, like youth pastor, like, yeah, this could be the but like, it's going to be good, but it's going to be tough to hear, I feel like, for a lot of us, because I know we deal with stuff. We've got stuff going on. Life gets tough sometimes, and today is all about why those things happen, and understanding God's character in the face of those things that are happening, and it's going to be a doozy, and I'm uh, kind of stalling, I'm kind of sweating, I'm already kind of nervous, but it's all right, because um, if you take over a little bit more laid back, so um, if you see me like fumbling for my words, I promise It'll, it'll, it'll make sense eventually. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Word. Well, before we dive in, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about our youth ministry because it is youth takeover and our youth ministry is probably the best ever. Um, and that's just how it is. So uh, I came on, <laughs> I came on staff um, last June as our interim youth pastor. And at the time we had about um, eight youth coming each and every Wednesday. And this past week, it's already been a year and a couple of months. This past week, we celebrated our most attended service of 32 teenagers here on a Wednesday night. So that's some, uh, that's some exponential growth in the kingdom of the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, it's actually our most attended youth Sunday in a while too. Dang. 
Um, a lot of our kids go to church with their parents um, on Sunday morning somewhere else, which is like, praise God, hallelujah, they're going to church, awesome. But they choose to be here on Wednesday nights, and they come by the literal mom van loads, bro. One van pulls up, and like six kids come jumping out because they all like pick each other up from school, and they all make it a point to be here on Wednesdays. That's awesome, bro. I love that. I love that. And I tell them I'm all the time, I'm like, look, if I could have a youth shuttle every Sunday, I would come to your house and get you, make you, get, get you here any way I can. But um, shout out to the ones that came today. Colin, my boy, welcome to your first Sunday service, bro. This is how we do it. Um, <laughs> but without further ado, um, again, I'm Pastor Elijah, the youth pastor here. Um, we've been doing some re-finding out of what this youth ministry is going to look like over the past year. Um, we got a brand new vision statement. Uh, the youth know what they said every single week. It's that the youth of today are ready for? More. Ready for more. And you're sitting there scratching your head saying, what the heck does that mean? Um, I firmly believe that this generation of teenagers is unlike any that have come before them. And I mean that with my entire heart. You know why? Because one, they've got the greatest tools available to them to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, we like to blame a lot of stuff on like all the trials and stuff on our phones and technology. And, you know, there's all this stuff happening. But depending on how you use it, it can be used for, you know, anxiety and depression and scared. Or it can be used as this powerful tool to reach people that could never have reached before. They've got all these different avenues to receive from the Lord. And it's more than just sitting there and reading your Bible. Reading your Bible is awesome, but there's more that they can take in. There's more that they can step into. There's more opportunity to be the hands and feet of God. Because in today's day and age, we need it more than ever, bro. Like, it's crazy. And these kids right here are the spearhead of that. They are literally ready for more. They asked me, oh yeah, give it up. Dude, <laughs> I cannot hype up these kids enough. They know what I say it every week. I love them like they're my own children. I don't have the privilege of being a dad yet, but these are my kids, and I love y'all. So, hey. Um, but speaking of tools, yeah, phones are cool. Anybody get the new um, iPhone 14 by chance recently? Anybody order the new iPhone? Nobody. Good. Awesome. Listen, we're going to talk about iPhones for just a second. <laughs> um, how many are iPhone people? iPhone, praise the Lord. Where's that, where's that Samsung people at? Oof, that's tough. You see you guys are in the minority. Dang, that's tough. Um, <laughs> well, the first iPhone has been, uh, it came out freaking forever ago. Sorry, yeah, look, I said it. I apologize. Before I got up here, Pastor Dad was like, make sure you know you try to say it. Look, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm still a kid. I'm learning how to preach on stage in Maine. If I say crap, I apologize. <laughs> um, but the new iPhones, uh, iPhone's been out for a while, and uh, how many of y'all have noticed the last couple runs have gotten less and less impressive? You know, the iPhone 14 comes out, and it's like, what's new about it? And it's like, the camera's better. It's like, how much better could it possibly get? Like, it's your phone. Each and every year, there's a new iPhone that comes out, and it's like, you know? I wanted more than a purple color. Can I get, like, something extravagant? Like, why is it just, you know camera's better or it does this better. It like gradually just kind of phases out. And I was telling this to, um, I think it was Pastor Josh and uh, Brandon, our sound guy uh, in the office the other day. I really feel like, you know, there's kind of a calling for a new invention because iPhones have kind of hit this wall and it's like, dang, what's going to come next? It's going to like revolutionize everything. Because back in the day, I know y'all had like your pagers and junk. I don't even know what that looks like, but I know it's a thing. Um, <laughs> y'all had your pagers and like your black, my mom had a Blackberry the little thing with the little scrolly button. 
you'd play like, um, uh, like Pong on it, you know, you sit there and hit the ball back and forth. And now we can play like Call of Duty on our phones, which is gangster as heck. But like back in the day, the iPhone came out and everybody was like, whoa, this is crazy. This has never been done before. And 20 years later, and now we're like, do I even have to buy the new one? There's another one? I, like how, how much better could it get? And um, I feel like a lot of us today, and this is here, we're in the message now. A lot of us today are suffering from something called new iPhone syndrome. Dun, dun, dun. New iPhone syndrome. It's not, you're, gonna, you're not going to find it in, you know, the FDA handbook or like, you know, whatever. It's the new iPhone syndrome. This is where you've reached the limit. Nothing new can come from what you have in your possession. Because everything that has come before you has told you this is as good as it gets. iPhone 14, this is it. Nothing else is going to change after this point. And then what happens? September rolls around in the next year. Next year, there's probably going to be an iPhone 15. And it's like, what's different about this one? Literally nothing. Like, nothing is changing. If it is changing, it's very, very small. We've reached a limit. There's nothing driving us to look ahead. And here's my first point. If you're taking notes, when your only understanding comes from your own experience, you lose sight of what can happen. When your only understanding comes from your own experience, you lose sight of what can happen happen. She said, all right, shoot. Yeah, we're, we're, we're preaching this morning. Praise the Lord. Um, but yeah, new iPhone syndrome. You're like, what does that mean? It means we tell ourselves, this is it. Nothing else can get better. Nothing can get worse because everything in the past has said, I have reached this point and I'm not looking forward to what can come next. It's I've been, you know, walking through life and I've had my ups and I have my downs. Maybe you're in a down place right now. Maybe you're in a high place right now. And you're not looking for what the potential outcome could be. You're looking at what history has told you is going to be it. Now hold on to that. The iPhone analogy is going to come up a lot. So put that in your back pocket. Um, still setting up the table a little bit though. Today is going to be tough because I tried to explain it to um, one of our youths named Christian He's epic. He's the one that plays guitar. Shout out Christian. Love you, my guy. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. We love you. Um, I was trying to explain it to him, and I was like, today's going to be tough because I'm trying to explain an abstract idea that has to become concrete. And that's like tough. You know, you think of, when you say abstract, the word association game is like, well, abstract painting, abstract art, and if you're not, you know, an abstract thinker, a lot of it's like, what the heck is that? It's like a single dot on a huge canvas. Or it's like someone took a bucket and just went, whoosh. There's no form. There's no, like, concrete anything. It's up for interpretation. It's supposed to invoke an emotion or, like, a thought or a feeling or whatever. And then you've got people over here that are doing, like, you know, like self-portraits and stuff. And you're like, oh, I know what that is. That's, a, that's Mona Lisa. That's a human being. I know what that is. But in order for this concept to fall today the way it needs to fall, you got to put two and two together. They both have to work together. And you're like, okay, what does that even look like? Here's uh, your unmarried youth pastor's marriage analogy for the day, praise God. Um, <laughs> if you're in a relationship, and uh, let's say uh, you're the husband in the situation, and, you know, wife's at home, you come home, a long day at work, you know, you come home, you walk up, and you say whatever it is you greet here. You're like, what's up, Miss Wife? 
boo thing? <laughs> I don't know. You walk up, say, hey, Miss Wife, I thought about buying you flowers today. And that's it. And then like you go about your day. I thought about buying you flowers today. I didn't, but I thought about it. <laughs> Your wife's probably going to be like, great, thanks. I mean, <laughs> I thought about buying you flowers today. It's an abstract idea. It never got out of your brain. It said, I thought about you, but I didn't do it. Or uh, as parents, you know, you have your kids and you're like, uh, can you empty the dishwasher? And they're like, oh, I thought about, I was going to do it already, but they weren't doing it. It never left the brain port. It was just an abstract idea. Or vice versa, I've been guilty of this. <laughs> um, in my very small, minute experience of like dating another human being, um, I'm very much like a, I'm going to do anything I can for you. And if it's all do, 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 do all the time, sometimes it freaks some people out. <laughs> Like, look, I'm doing all this for you. If there's no emotion behind it, if you just came home and said, flowers, boom, flowers, boom, flowers, boom, flowers, boom, all action, nothing about, hey, I love you so much. This is what these mean because you mean so much to me. You see what I'm saying? They work together. You can't just be boom, 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 all action, or boom, 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 I thought about you so much today. That's it. Like, it's not going to work. So today, we're going to be putting abstract ideas into factual things we can tangibly do. Sound good? Word. All right, sick, 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 sick. So, y'all ready? Oof. Y'all said you want to be challenged today, so I'm, I'm going to keep that in the back of my brain. Um, I also might talk for a while. Are you guys cool with that? Can Qdoba wait a little bit longer? Because I timed myself yesterday, and I was like, ooh, there's going to be some preaching in church today. So I'm really excited. Um, we're talking about a dude named Lazarus. Everybody say Lazarus. Sick, cool. I do that a lot in youth to make sure their attention is still you know, connected because, you know. Um, so if I have a callback, please respond. I love class participation. It's awesome. Um, it makes me feel like people are listening. <laughs> so pick up the story. It's a man named Lazarus, and um, Lazarus is dying. He's, uh, he has a sickness, and uh, Jesus' disciples are going to go and visit Lazarus. If you haven't heard this story before, um, buckle up. This is going to be a verse-by-verse, play-by-play of what this entire story is about. And if you haven't heard this story, then still buckle up, because I feel like there's going to be a fresh understanding of what this means, because today is all about understanding God's character in the face of something terrible. And uh, it's no surprise to anybody, but we're dealing with stuff. And I say a lot of what is going to happen today from the most, you got to understand this, the most humble place I possibly can. I'm not discounting anything that has happened to anybody because believe me, this is literally, if I could sit here and preach to myself, this is it, bro. Everything that is coming out of my mouth is the Holy Spirit talking to Pastor Elijah as well because this is going to be tough, but we're going to be good. We're buckled up. We're all ready. Everybody's excited. You know, we had some great worship and now we're ready to go. So picking up in John chapter 11, verse one, I'm going to read this thing. Let's get into it says, a man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love so very much is sick. Pause. Let me uh, set this up for you. If the disciples were Jesus' best friends, um, Mary, 
Martha, Lazarus were basically like his family. Like they were his homies. Like they were tight. And um, that's why the Bible says the one that you love so very much. Jesus was like, they were tight. And so he was obviously not like super thrilled to hear about it. And though they pick up in verse four, when Jesus got the message, he said, the sickness is not fatal. It will, be, it will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's son. So right there we see that Jesus has this understanding of what's going to happen. He, he gets this news that says Lazarus is sick. And everybody's head is going, he's probably going to die. And Jesus is saying, no, the sickness will not end in death. It's going to be an opportunity to see God's glory. Jesus already has this advanced understanding of the situation. And we're going to see very quickly that everyone else around him does not share his understanding. Uh, picks up in Verse 5, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. After the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And a little bit of background, the people in Judea did not like Jesus. They didn't like him very much <laughs> because Jesus was over here, you know, flipping tables and like turning the whole religion game upside down and the religious people were not a huge fan of him. So his disciples, in their infinite knowledge and whatever, said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you, and you're going back? That was verse 8. There you go. Um, and the Jews replies in verse 9, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he, may, he might very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. In layman's terms, Jesus is continuing to try to tell them there's something else happening here that you're not quite grasping. And Jesus being Jesus gives us this really cool, like, word, you know, from the Lord. And the disciples are still sitting there scratching their heads saying, what? <laughs> because, you know, the disciples are human beings just like you and me. And if we didn't know what was going on, we'd probably be sitting in the same boat. So he continues, verse 11, he said, He said these things, and then he announced, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. Jesus is still showing this understanding of the situation. And his disciples say, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. Jesus was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. <laughs> so, Jesus has this understanding that disciples clearly do not have. Jesus has this understanding that we clearly do not have. We're taking it like surface level, this is, oh, this is what Jesus must mean. He must mean this. We're trying to make sense of this, how it makes sense to us. Put us in the disciples' shoes. We're going to do that a lot today. So the disciples don't get it. Jesus continued to talk about an opportunity for God's glory to be shown, and they're just not connecting the dots. They have become the new iPhone 14. They're no longer looking for the iPhone 15 because they are at the peak of what anything could possibly be. And like, what do you mean by that? Up until this point, the disciples have already seen signs, wonders, miracles. Blind people receive their sight. Lame people get up and walk. They've seen people raised from the dead. They have seen all this stuff. They have seen iPhones 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. But now they're at 14 and they're not looking for 15. They have reached a point where everything before them is now governing their opportunity to look for more. They're no longer expecting God to do something different because this is a different situation. Jesus, Jesus is saying, there's something you're not seeing here. And the disciples are continuing to sit there and try to shove a square peg in a round hole. This doesn't make sense to me. 
So it must be it. Nothing else can happen. This is as good as he's going to get. If he's asleep, then he'll wake up fine. I don't know. Like they're trying so hard. They become desensitized to what God is doing. In other words, they've gotten used to their miracles. And I'm sitting here thinking about that, and I'm like, shoot, like, as good Christians, you know, we like to sit back and be like, how could they possibly get used to seeing people raised from the dead? How can they possibly get used to seeing people healed instantly? Bro, we get used to God's miracles every single stinking day. I say this in, uh, in youth a lot. If you've got nothing to praise God for, you are a coherent living human being that is here in church today. That's awesome. You woke up this morning. You ever like thought about how much has to work for your body to wake itself up on its own, know how to heal itself, know how to do things? It's crazy. And yet we cry about our barista not getting our coffee order right. You know, like, we are on the new iPhone 14. <laughs> iPhone 15, who is she? She doesn't exist. There's nothing coming after me. I have reached the end. This is as good as it's going to get. The disciples are sitting there going, what could possibly happen that hasn't happened already? They had never seen someone, uh, at this point, Lazarus has been dead for four days. They've already seen, you know, the, she just walks in, boom, you're healed. She wakes up, she's like, oh. They didn't, haven't seen something like this before. And they're not looking at what can happen because their past experience is governing their right now. Picking up in uh, verse 14, it says, Then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died, and I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go to him. That's when Thomas, the one called the twin, said his companions, Come along, we might as well die with him. It's like, they're not even thinking about Lazarus anymore. They're thinking about like, oh, might as well, you know, like, what? I don't know what he's going to do, but might as well go along with them because, you know, nothing's better to do but die. It's so clear to us, but we do it all the time. All the time, all the time. It's like, Oh, I'm not going to try to jump ahead. We're going we're to take it step by step. So I jump ahead. We're going to be talking for like three hours. So they still don't get it. So we're going to skip a couple of verses. We're going to pick up in verse 21. But basically they travel and they get there. And Martha comes up to Jesus and says, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. This is where it's going to get a little uncomfy. You know, we've been, we've been giggling and stuff and having a good time, but holy cow. <laughs> we like to give uh, people that like doubt Jesus like a bad rap, you know. It's like we talked about, you know, how dare they get used to seeing miracles? Or like Martha in this case, not understanding. We're like, Martha, what the heck is Jesus? He's going to heal people. But we don't, we don't act like that every day. We like to say it. It's like, yeah, Jesus is going to heal me. Sick. But like we don't act like it. We know it. Martha here, her second phrase says, even now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. And we haven't even addressed the first part. She says, Master, if you'd just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. In other words, in a 2022 layman's terms, it is, 
God, where were you? Jesus, where were you? If you had only been here, this wouldn't have happened. And this is where it's going to get tough because I'm going to attempt to answer the question of why do bad things happen? Why do they continue to happen? What happens when I am going through something and Jesus doesn't seem to be there? It's understanding God's character that's going to give us that, that peace, that knowing. And it's going to require something. One, it's going to require us to understand the fact that we will not completely understand how God works. We won't. It doesn't make sense to us. It probably never will. You know, we think in a very two-dimensional way. You know, as a kid, you're taught, well, that's not fair. This happened to me, and I deserve something else. That's not fair. But God is like all just, bro. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. We cannot make sense of that. It doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't. Because how we see it is, well, this happens, so it must happen, you know, this way, back and forth. And Martha's struggling because she knows who God is. She's got the brain knowledge. She went to Sunday school. She went to church since she was a kid. Her pa- <laughs> Martha's you and I. How many of y'all have been to church longer than you can even remember? How many of y'all were grown up? Like, you, you, it was church. Your parents said, it's Sunday morning. Let's go. It's time to go to church. You had good Christian parents. He said, hey, it's Sunday. Let's go. Let's go to church. Memorize your memory verse. What did you learn in uh, Sunday school today? Did you color Joseph? Did you, go to, did you go to youth service? Did you learn something cool? Stand in this, as of me and my house, we will praise the Lord. That's all factual stuff. But we wave it around like it's, you know, it's just this thing. It's more than just this thing. It's there for us to understand God on a new level. And yet we sit here on like this, this flat plateau of like, here's a, here's a verse for you. Eh. Because that's all I know what to do. Because I've been grown up in church. I understand God up here. I know all the stories. I can say Noah cover to cover easy. I can say, you know, Moses, the whole thing. The, the, I can talk about Jesus all day long. I know all about the Bible, whatever. Martha knows everything up here, but she can't make sense of it in here. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to us. We've been going, I'm going to church for Longer than you've been, Pastor Lodge, I've been going to church longer than you've ever existed. But it doesn't mean we don't go through things. It doesn't mean that there's still not times where we're like, why isn't this working? Why is God, why is God letting this happen? Martha is like, God, if you were just here, it wouldn't have happened this way. She's trying so hard to make sense of it. Why didn't God move for me? Verse 23, Jesus says, your brother will be raised up. Jesus is still showing this understanding that they haven't understood yet. They don't don't get it yet. Jesus gets it. Your brother will be raised up. He already knows. I said it like this uh, to Zoe, my little sister. We're talking about it. We like to say, you know, like, um, we like to talk about how relatable Jesus is because, like, Jesus came he was God in human form. You know, he lived a life. He understands, like, temptation and, like, he understands all the things because, you know, he's God. And he had to come. He gets us because Jesus is a human and God at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Up until this point, Jesus had not himself 
he hadn't died yet. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hasn't done the, the big one. And yet he is still able to have this understanding of death. Why? Not because he had experienced it already. See what I'm saying? Not because he was the iPhone 8 and he knew what the iPhone 9 was. He had experienced everything, every temptation, all the things. He had not yet experienced death, and yet he was still able to identify what can come next, not because of his own experience, but because he understood God's character. It was not something scripted. It wasn't like, ooh, this, he spent time, the, the Bible talks about, he go, as a, you know the story uh, we tell around Easter when Jesus is like 12 and he goes to like the temple and he teaches all the, or he uh, instructs all the, the, the Bible nerds. He spent time with them. He grew up with God in this communion, this awesome relationship where he knew God's character and he wasn't basing off of what he had already been through. Jesus has this understanding, your brother will be raised up. Martha replies, I know that he'll be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. Well, we all know what this means. This means, you know, rapture, you know, the dead will rise again. You know, we're all going to heaven. It's going to be rainbows and unicorns. Awesome. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. Not in this moment. He goes on, verse 25. You don't have to wait for the end. I'm right now. Resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Martha replies, yes, master. All along I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. See, Martha's trying to apply the Sunday school Stuff. You know, Jesus, well, you said, you know, the, de- the dead will rise again, but she's still, it, she's still not, doesn't get it. She's trying to make sense of it so hard. God, you said this. You said, you know, in your word it says this, in your word it says this, in your word it says this. But how many of us know it's one thing to have the idea, the abstract knowledge of who God is, it's another thing to have that concrete evidence of knowing. It's tough. It is hard work. I'm going to give a personal example because I know some of y'all are like, Elijah, you're like 20 years old. What could you possibly know about life? Dude, I've been pretty uh, transparent about like my own struggles and stuff. Um, namely, as of recent, it's been this really intense spirit of loneliness that I've been fighting for a long time. <laughs> and it's weird because, you know, anybody who's anybody will be like, you know, you've got people that care about you. You want to know what loneliness feels like? It is knowing that you've got people that care about you more than anything and still not feeling it in here because that concept to you doesn't connect. It doesn't work. But you know what does work? That reminder, that constant heart-to-mind connection where I, instead of feeling lonely, have to work at reminding myself that the people that are in my life really do care about me, and it's this constant tug-of-war. It's the same thing with God. God, I can make sense of it in my brain. I know you're all-powerful, all-knowing, all-controlling, all-everything, but right now, I don't feel you. I don't know where you are. And in your word, it says, you know, the dead will rise again. In the word, it says, you know, we're all healed. But where are you? Where are you? Where are you at? What's going on? Save me. This is terrible. What's happening? Martha's trying so hard to make sense of it. And we're going to skip down. It's got real quiet. Shoot. <laughs> we're going to keep going. 
We're going to keep going. Jesus uh, gets a little bit further in the crowd. He gets a little bit closer to the tomb. And Mary comes up to him in verse 32. It says, Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet, saying, Master, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. It's the second time Jesus' understanding is challenged. The knowing that he has up here, and, you know, he's got both of them, but it's challenged. This is your, uh, this is your diagnosis. This is where your Sunday school knowledge meets the road. Are you going to live by what it is you preach desperately, or are you going to fall to the ground and say, this is it? This is the, uh, just for a couple of, this is your pink slip. This is your, uh, your doctor diagnosis. This is your divorce. This is your, um, your kid falling off the rails. This is the situation. This is the worst thing you could ever imagine happening. Your understanding of who God is is going to be challenged. What are you going to do with that? Because a lot of us, can't make sense of it. We do not understand why what is happening to me is happening to me and why God doesn't move. Jesus' understanding is being challenged here. Obviously, Jesus follows through like he always does. And even that statement that Jesus follows through like he always does. Well, Elijah, you don't know what I'm dealing with. Elijah, you don't understand. I may not get it. God gets it. Oof, and this is where, oh man. His understanding is challenged. Oof. And it's got to make him mad. Oh my goodness. And it does. Here in verse 34, 33 through 34. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. And he said, where did you put him? Anger. Usually the first word that comes into mind when we think about Jesus is not anger. Usually think of, you know, love and happiness, which you all is. But this is anger. He's angry. Why is he angry? Why is Jesus angry? Jesus is the good guy. Why is he angry? It's like this righteous anger. It's not like anger that he wants to like punch someone in the face. It's like this, it, it burdens him to see people affected by death so negatively. It hurts his heart. It stinks. We forget sometimes, this is me, forget that the things that burden us don't make him happy either. It hurts He's sad. He's like, dang, death sucks. I'm here to kick its butt eventually, but right now this kind of blows. This is tough. This is real. And it makes him angry. And this opens a can of worms that is like the number one argument for anybody not coming to know Jesus is if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and why doesn't he stop it? <laughs> and everybody goes, because it's not a question that any of us wants to answer. You know why? Because it takes an understanding of an abstract idea and some concrete evidence to work together. And it's hard to do that, especially when it comes to the Jesus talk. Because all we want to talk about is how awesome God is and how amazing he is, which is great. We're going to sing that for eternity. I love that. I'm so excited to do that. But when we're here, 
It's hard because we're walking through it each and every day. We get mad at God for not doing the thing because we don't understand the God that we know. Why he can let this happen. The God in Sunday school wouldn't let you get fired. The God in Sunday school wouldn't let you have a, a, get a divorce. The God in Sunday school wouldn't let you, know, you be hurting for money or your kids falling off the rails. The God you learned in Sunday school that you color in your little coloring book and your coloring sheet and you go home and what did you learn in church today? The God that you know wouldn't let that happen. So evidently he must not be there. Mary and Martha can't make sense of it. The disciples can't make sense of it. Think about this. Jesus is there in the flesh. He is there. And these people that are closest to him cannot make sense of this. I don't think we're going to get it any more than they do. We can. If we stop thinking that you're the iPhone 14 and nothing else can happen. I'm the iPhone 14. This is it. September comes. There's an iPhone 15? What? Something else happened? The title of the message is ready for more. It's our vision statement for the youth. Being ready for more means being open to what can happen. Up until this point, nobody has been open to what can happen. All they've tried to do is make sense of it. Have you ever tried to understand how something works? And some of y'all are like, yeah, I can take a par- uh, car apart and put it back together. I don't understand how it works. I know how like, things work. Let me ask you this. How does Wi-Fi work? Tell me this. We had like, you know, cavemen walking around. How do sticks and rocks and trees become wireless connection one day? <laughs> See, like... We're sitting there one day making fire with sticks, and one day it's like, wow, we can have a Bluetooth connection. How does that work? It doesn't. You cannot sit down and tell me how that works. There's no way. How does gravity work? I don't know. Something's big, so it, like, it pulls you down. Thank God I have it, because if I didn't, I'd be floating off in space, but I don't know how it works. I don't get it. This doesn't make sense, but this is how life is. It's working like this, so... What if I told you that you can fly? What? That's not how gravity works. It can. It could. God can bless you with flight. I don't know. You're laughing, but like it's the same thing. This is how it's always been. It can't get any better than this. This is... We're not even thinking about the... uh, You can fly? That's impossible. It could, yeah. Wi-Fi, there's going to be something new. There's going to, we're going to have like AI robots one day. And you'll be like, I thought this was it. I thought about a forest fire. If you were to have a conversation with a tree. <laughs> there was a tree right here, uh, Groot. And he said, hey, Mr. Tree, I'm going to light you on fire. <laughs> You're going to burn down. And that was it. The tree's probably like, no. <laughs> if the tree could talk in this analogy, trees can talk. You're not going to burn me down? What the heck? That's, that's mean. 
and that's like all you tell them. But then if you say, hey, tree, Groot, um, I'm going to burn you down, and then you're going to grow back bigger and stronger and like, you know, because like nature, that's how science works. Forest fire, you know, you do like controlled burns to like burn all the old stuff away so that new stuff can grow back, you know, 10 times stronger. Tree might be like, okay, it's going to hurt for a little bit, but like, sure, let's go. Great opposition is great opportunity. Great opposition is great opportunity. This is where I am drawing upon every ounce of humility I possibly can because I know that I know that I know there are people that exist today that are dealing with things that are very, very real, very scary. And what I'm saying is the opposition that is coming against you is a great opportunity to think about what can happen. I call this wheelchair worship. Everybody say wheelchair, wheelchair. Worship. worship. And uh, I didn't, uh, I'm not going to say any names because I didn't really, this person doesn't know this, but I want to tell a story about a dude that um, has been going to church since before I was even a thought, I'm sure. Um, and he's going to walk around, he's like greeting people, shaking hands, doing the, the church thing, you know, being the good Christian guy. He's like, hey, welcome to church. You want to communion? You know, like greeting people, shaking hands, being awesome, coming to church every Sunday, praising the Lord, doing the thing. And then one day, opposition comes. One day, he suffers a stroke. And uh, he, he can't walk anymore. And he's confined to a wheelchair. Now, at that point, nine times out of ten, every, you want to come to church Sunday? Ah, oh, I can't. I can't. I can't make it. I, this is, this is it. The forest is burned down. This is it. Most of us would be like, I'm out. This is it for me. I'm going to sit here and be sad. And yet this individual is one of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. And he's here every week. He shakes my hand, asks me how my week was. Asks me if I have a girlfriend yet every single week. No, I don't have one yet. <laughs> but he is worshiping God and being Jesus when there is so much opposition happening. And this is where in our brain we get real cynical about it. We get real stuff we wouldn't say out loud like oh he's just got content with it. He's just this is his life now. He's not me. He's not dealing with what I have. He's not experiencing what I have. He doesn't have the same diagnosis as me. He doesn't have the financial burden I have. He doesn't have a family like I do. His situation is different. He's gotten content with it. I'm still you don't think this guy wakes up every single morning thinking, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day I get to walk again. Maybe today's the day I'm going to receive my healing. Maybe today is the day that it changes. And you don't think there's a little bit of sadness in him when it doesn't? I'd be sad. It'd be tough to wake up every day. Just maybe this is it. And then it doesn't shake out. 
But you know what's different? He decides to worship God anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say it like this. Remember the dude that like uh, sat next to the pool? He was like the, the lame guy who like couldn't, you know, it was like the pool that would like stir up and you have to like crawl into it. And the first one that got there, like see their healing. You guys are familiar with what I'm talking about? Cool. Why did the dude sit there for so long? Because his greatest chance of healing was right there. If you are dealing with something that your brain cannot make sense of, you're struggling, you've been given a diagnosis, you've been given a pink slip, you've been given whatever it is, wouldn't you want to worship with the best chance you have to receive what it is you need? Wouldn't you want to be down here screaming your life away, worshiping the Lord in the face of what is happening because this is your greatest chance of getting what it is that you need so badly? Instead, we sit there, God, where are you at? And we're not willing to go where our greatest chance of getting that anyways, even if it doesn't happen, even if it doesn't happen, this is where the rubber meets the road. Even if it doesn't happen, what is your attitude going to be? My greatest chance, my oof. Loneliness does not exist when I am here. I'll tell you that right now. I may go home and I might sit in my bed and get all upset, but like whatever. But when I'm here, I can feel it. I know that someone cares about me. If it's just Jesus, praise God, hallelujah. I know it's not. You're like, well, Pastor Elijah, you get paid to go here. This is your job. I've been coming to church since the jump, bro. It wasn't just parents being like, you can come to church. They gave me a choice. When I became a teenager and drive myself, they're like, you can come if you want. And I decided to be here. Even when I was struggling with things, you get bullied, picked on, anxiety, depression, alcohol, all the stuff. I decided to be here anyways because I knew if there was even a slight chance of something changing, I wanted a piece of it. And it was here. And this is, this is, this is the big one. Verse 36. The Jews said, look how deep, oh, okay, no, so Jesus gets to the tomb. Master, come and see. They find him. Jesus weeps. It's the, the verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He's sad. It hurts his heart. In verse 36, the Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. Others among them said, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of the blind man. In other words, the Bible's full of stories of God coming through. Where is he at right now? He's healed the sick. He's raised people from the dead. I need it. I need the healing. I need the miracle. He's done it before. Why isn't he doing it now? And this is where... If that's the thinking, you're missing point. That's where we got to sit and work on your understanding of God's character. 
Are you going to worship your miracle before you worship God? I was half expecting everybody to be like, get up, you know, just dip and like slam the doors and like never come back. Are you worshiping him or are you worshiping the miracle? Let me say it like this. The relationship analogy again. If your relationship with somebody is based solely off what they are doing for you, it's not going to work. Good dating relationships, good marriage relationships work because things are equally pursuing each other. If you're treating God like a vending machine, saying, God, where are you? Where are you at? 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 And that's it. If your basis on if God exists or not is solely based off what he's doing for you, that's a tough place to be. Because the second opposition comes, your opportunity is going to be there to worship him regardless. So whether or not you're going to choose that, are you going to understand his character? And you're asking yourself, then why do bad things happen? If God is all good, look, plain and simple, this is, we messed up big time. In the beginning, we messed up. Again, this is one of those opportunities where we're like, well, if I was Adam, I wouldn't have eaten the apple. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure you would have freaking lusted after Eve or something. I don't know. It could have started anywhere. It could have been any of us. We messed up. And God chose to love us anyway. And then we get mad because we're like, well, why does he make us choose us if we're going through bad things? Wouldn't you want someone to choose you when they didn't feel like it? If you get married and your honeymoon is amazing and then you have your first argument, you're like, actually, no, this ain't it. Sorry, bye. If the first opposition comes and you tap out and say, no, marriage is last because you choose to love somebody not based on how you feel all the time. (laughs) Again, that is your uh, unmarried single youth pastor trying to like think like an adult. If you don't know what that is, that's a dab. If you, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Worshiping him, not the miracle. Whew. Worshiping him, not the miracle. It takes a level of understanding past your Sunday school coloring book knowledge of who God is. I can tell you all day long, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. But if you're not willing to make these two things work together and understand it past the surface value, it's going to be tough. Mm. So, verse 38, then Jesus, the anger welling up in him again, is frustrated, arrives at the tomb. It's a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. The sister of the dead man, Martha, said, Master, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. They're 
not. They're still, they're right there. It's not clicking. It's the final chance for Jesus to be like, you know what, forget it. Like, you know, the opposition is challenged. The understanding is challenged again. And still Jesus persists on. In verse 40, Jesus looked her in the eye. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Didn't I tell you that? Like I literally just said, it's not going to end in sickness. But they're the iPhone 14 and they're not getting it. Because their experience is capped. Their readiness for more. Oof. Verse 41. Then to the others, Jesus says, go ahead, take away the stone. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eye to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. I know you always do listen. But on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might believe that you sent me. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, a cadaver wrapped from head to toe with a kerchief around his face. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him loose. End of story. Close the book. Great. Miracle happened. Yeehaw. Put yourself in Lazarus' shoes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lazarus gets sick one day. <laughs> Lazarus gets sick one day. Lazarus knew good and well who Jesus is. One of his best friends in the world is Jesus Christ. I'm sure he's waiting in bed saying, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day I'm going to get my healing. Maybe today's the day that Jesus is going to come through the door and heal me. Maybe today's the day that my life goes back to normal. Then what happens? Lazarus dies. You think he went, oof. You think he died? You don't think he was sitting there with an ounce of confusion? Like, why isn't he... One of the closest people to Jesus is sitting there going, I can't make sense of this. And he dies. And then four days later, he hears a knock at the door. It's Jesus. And he says, come back. And he just walks out and he's like, wow. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. I'm Lazarus. I'm the iPhone 14. This is it. He wasn't expecting it. And I believe wholeheartedly that Lazarus was worshiping God the whole way. Whether he got it or not, I don't think he was like, obviously nobody wants to be sick Obviously, nobody wants to be dealing with something. But if I know Jesus' character, and if, if Jesus was my best friend, and Lazarus got it, and if I, if I know Lazarus' character, I am sure more than anything that Lazarus was worshiping Jesus regardless. And that takes a level of understanding that's more than just reading the story saying Lazarus died. Say, no, Lazarus died being best friends with Jesus. And that is not easy.
Because again, I know we've got people struggling with some very real things. But Jesus said in the beginning of the story, he says, even in death, those that believe in me truly do not die. There's something else. Do the, does the situation suck? Yeah, but it's an opportunity for something more. Do you want to know why our uh, vision statement for the youth is ready for more? I'll tell you here in a second. And we're going to dive into my favorite passage in the Bible ever. It's in Psalms, Psalm 56. And if you know this, sick. If you don't, this is really good. Because, uh, if you ever want to know the current state of teenagers or young people, how they think, this is about as close as it gets. If you're a teenager in here or younger than, I don't know, whatever, you're, you're a young person, we're all young, whatever, tell me this isn't something that you think yourself every single day. Oof. Verse 1, take my side, God. I'm getting kicked around, stomped on every day. Not a day goes by, but somebody beats me up. They make it their duty to beat me up. When I get really afraid, I come to you and trust. I'm proud to praise God. Fearless now, I trust in God. What can mere mortals do? Look, like I said in the beginning, we've been blessed with this generation and have a lot of tools to be the hands and feet. But that means there's a lot of opposition that is coming against them. A lot. A lot. Stuff that would make y'all run and hide. Stuff that I probably would never even talk about here on stage because it is, it's, it's nasty stuff. And they do with it every single day. This is it. How many of us can relate to this? How many of y'all know what it feels like to be picked up every single day? Every single day. Seems like everything's out to get me. Everything's out to get me. They make it their people, make it their business to beat up on me. But the ending phrase is, I'm proud to praise God. Fearless now, I trust in God. What can mere mortals do? In the face of the opposition, I am proud to praise God. Verse 5, they don't let up. They smear my reputation. They gossip about me. They huddle to plot my collapse. They gang up, sneak together through the alleys, take me by surprise, and they wait for a chance to get me. Everything's coming against me. Everything, gossip, anxiety, depression, fear, alcohol, sex, drugs, whatever, everything is on its way to get me. Verse 7, pay them back in evil. Get angry, God. Down with these people. God, where are you at? This really stinks. Where are you? Strike them down. Do the God thing. Do something. Do something. I am hurting. I'm sad. I'm scared. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. Do something. Verse 8. They've, you've kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. Each tear entered in your ledger. Each ache written in your book. God, you know this hurts. You're aware of the situation. You get it. This stinks and you know it. You know. You know. You see me. I'm sad. This it's hard. Do something. God, where are you at? Verse 9. If my enemies run away, turn to hell when I yell at them, then I'll know that God is on my side. Verse 10. I'm proud to praise God. Proud to praise God. Fearless now, I trust in God. What can mere mortals do to me? 
Verse 12, God, you did everything you promised. I'm thanking you with my whole heart. You pulled me from the brink of death, my feet from the cliff edge of doom. Now I stroll at leisure with God in the sunlit fields of life. This is not, this is not a, we made everything better. This is a, yeah, I'm aware that my life looks like crap right now. I'm aware that it sucks and I'm aware that you know that. But even regardless, I am choosing to worship you anyway. You pull me from the brink of death, my feet from the cliff edge of doom. This isn't a, you know, you made everything better. This to me is, you might have, you know, you, you took the dive. You took the hurt. But because Jesus said, even in death, you don't actually die. Even if you were to fall off the cliff, God has still pulled you from that. He said, no, I got you anyways. And once you understand in the face of your opposition, you can worship him anyway. You stroll at leisure with God in the sunlit fields of life because you have the peace in knowing that no matter what happens to me right now, I'm all good. And that is tough because it takes a level of understanding of God's character that we're not used to because your heart and your mind have got to work together on this because if you try to make sense of it, you're going to give yourself a headache. (laughs) I'm proud to praise God. What can mere mortals do? What can sickness do to me? What can doctors say about me? I'm not saying if you got to die, like go see a doctor, get your healing, get your help. That doesn't mean you got to stand on that diagnosis though. If y'all would uh, please stand and try to land this plane before uh, 3 p.m. or something, you know. You've got the, the victory in the end. It's more than, you know, there's a song. It's like, I've got the victory. Enemy's been defeated. Yay. It's more than just a phrase, though. It's more than just something that, you know, Christians say. It's like, yeah, I got victory. It's legit. But you only get that if you know him. If you choose to love God regardless, if you acknowledge the fact that Jesus came and he died and rose again for you, Regardless of how he felt. Let me ask you something. You think Jesus felt by going to the cross? No. (laughs) Nobody wants to, but he understood why he had to. He got it. He understands God's character. You think, oof. You know Abraham sacrificing Isaac? You think Abraham was sitting there going, this makes total sense to me. He understood God's character enough to be willing to take the steps that God put before him. It's not going to make sense. Christianity is weird sometimes, you know? Some things don't make sense. People are like, well, you're very narrow-minded. Just blind me, follow something. Narrow is the way, my dude. I'm going to choose to live by that because I have seen what God can do. And I'm willing to think ahead of what he will do in the future.